Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. Yay, podcast recording is happening. Um, I'm super excited to have you here, Sierra. Uh, this week's guest is Sierra McGovern. And actually, well, okay, I'm recording two podcasts today. One is a bonus podcast, and it's going out tomorrow with Susan from Exhale. And um, we're going to ta- we're talking about the retreat. Well, we already talked about the retreat um, that Exhale is having. And so this afternoon, I get to record a podcast with you, and you work with Exhale at this time. So I'm super excited. I'm going to release this podcast next Monday. So they'll go out back to back. So Sierra McGovern, we, um, we connected on Instagram, right? We connected on Instagram. Don't even remember, as I say on most of my podcasts, don't quite remember like all of the conversation. <laughs> but I know that it landed in us here because I said, are you willing to like join the podcast and talk about your work with Exhale and just your personal story? Because I actually stopped Sierra before we started recording. I was like, no, 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 (laughs) stop talking. I want all this on the record or like on on the podcast so listeners can listen because you have a really interesting and beautiful story that I think a lot of people can relate to, which is your journey as a young adult, understanding the world from a pro-life lens, and then seeing it through your body, through your experience, through meeting other people, uh, to now being a support person with Exhale, and very much on the other side of the conversation. So, welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so happy we could connect. And I actually, I heard about you through Rachel Dyer. Um, She she was on your, I think it was the anti-racism podcast. So good. I'm trying to make my whole family listen to it. Um, There, we're we're good. Yes. um, Maybe not this episode, but. um, (laughs) The Rachel Dyer episode. (laughs) Yes. The Rachel, the Rachel Dyer and your podcast in general is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I love this. It's such a, a weirdly not talked about subject, I feel like. So unless, it is. Unless it's super polarizing or like this whole pie in the sky, should abortion happen, shouldn't it? And totally forgetting the actual human beings yeah, involved yeah. in it. So I really love, um, much like much like what you read Exhale, I love that you hold space for that. Yeah. And I actually was thinking about this recording in the minutes leading up to getting on with you. And I was feeling all the feelings as I was scrolling through social media and looking at politics and thinking about Ruth's passing and like the big heavy stuff. And I just kind of called myself back in and I was like, okay, you can either get really frustrated right now, which is okay and good and sometimes fuels awesome action, or you can just come back your afternoon and serving your clients and recording this podcast. And this is what we get to do. 
to make the world a safer place for people who, who choose abortion, who need to choose abortion or who want to choose abortion, <laughs> both. Um, so it felt so good to me to have an action to take. Like as I'm scrolling and like my anger is building, <laughs> like, no, I'm gonna go talk to Sierra and we're gonna take action and we're gonna hold space just like Exhale does. We're gonna hold space for all of it on a really human level. So that's what I feel like you do. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go back to before you worked with Exhale. Tell me your sort of history and what led you here to this seat, <laughs> to this place. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, well, I was born on it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, I actually, I was born into a very, very conservative Christian family. Um, and my Christian, I'm not, um, I'm not shitting on that. I, I'm still, it's a very big part of my faith is a big part of my life now, but yeah. the way that I approach it has changed pretty radically. Um, and I was homeschooled most of, most of my childhood. My dad was a pastor, whole nine yards. Um, and the community that I grew up in was very, very, very pro-life, both personally and politically, um, from the pul pulpit to the pole booth. It was all very, very pro-life. Um, and in my early teens, I went to a charter school where kind of like most, most of the kids and especially the people, you know, the cute boy that I liked, the people I wanted to be friends with, the girl whose hair I copied, all of that jazz, they were very involved with a pro-life organization. Um, and they would, we would go, eventually I ended up, you know, joining them because I just wanted, I was 14, I was going through a really rough time at that age. I just wanted so badly to be included that I started going to these meetings. Um, and it was basically, we would all sit in like a room in someone's living room and they had a full, full size PowerPoint display screen. And we would go point by point on how to win an argument about abortion. And they taught us all these medical facts um, that I now know are entirely inaccurate. Um, and they really, it really weaved our faith into it. And at least, especially for me, um, when faith is brought up, it's so, you, you know, if someone says the Bible says something and your parents are saying it and your friends are saying it, you go with it. Um, this is me trying to extend self-compassion, even though I so hate that I was involved with this. Um, like we went to, we, I love we, that you were involved with this though. I mean, I don't love that it exists, but it does. And that's actually never going to change. It's always going to exist. We like to think and hope that it might change and shift and shrink. <laughs> but the truth is it's always going to exist. So I actually love that you, um, you know, you might not love it, but I love that you have this perspective. I don't have this perspective. Like you have this extremely wide perspective on what it looks like on both sides. And so your ability to give to women or to people who are experiencing abortion, because a lot of them I'm sure are coming from religious backgrounds and from maybe having participated in the same charter school organizations. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess I say that to say like, don't down yourself for having participated in it. It totally makes sense that you did. Everything you explained makes perfect sense. And now because of that, you are a, you have a wider perspective and a more loving lens to talk about this stuff. So 
All right, I just totally interrupted your story. (laughs) No, not at all. I'm like nodding my head as if that will be on the... yeah, well, no, it's it's so interesting because with Exhale, um, I think the, the episode with Susan will have come out, but Exhale is a text line um, for people who want to process their post-abortion experience. Um, and I'm one of the counselors. And one of my, one of the biggest themes that I see, we see a lot of like teenagers, people living at home, a lot of domestic violence because mm-hmm. it's a text line. So it's so accessible. But a really big theme is we get a lot of people who are ardently pro-life. They vote pro-life. They talk about it. It's a big, it's not just like a belief that they hold amongst like a checkbox of political things. It is an extremely important belief that they have. And they also have had an abortion. So it's really, it's really interesting. Um, It's very difficult to be honest with you to hold space for that cognitive dissonance there. Um, And of course, it's incredibly, incredibly heavy on those people, um, primarily women, but we do get plenty of like non-binary and trans people who call in as, or who text in as well. Um, but pro-life, it's so, it, of course, it's, as you know, it's such a charged topic, but these people will have, um, they'll have like a name in mind or they'll have a gender picked out or they'll, they'll and they'll truly talk to me as if like, I'm going to hell and this is it or what, if I, if I somehow get into heaven, will I meet the baby? And that typically is the type of language yeah. that they use, like baby yeah. or my son. Um, which of course is so, so charged and so, so difficult to fully go through in a one hour text conversation. But very, I mean, very often I do feel like that experience has equipped me to work well with that, even though it's sometimes so frustrating. I really think it has because for me, as someone who never had that experience, like I'm going to be thinking totally different thoughts. Like, oh my gosh, you're, you're so brainwashed. And like, how could you fall for this stuff? And like, I'm going to be thinking thoughts because I don't understand it. Like it is, it is kind of brainwashing based to be involved, to be honest. But you know what that feels like. You know what that felt like to receive that messaging and want to be a part of it. Even if your reason was teenage survival, right? (laughs) Popularity, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, that want to be included, that want to be a part of something, even if it is something that like, you hadn't thought that much about the depth of, right? Or, you know, even like um, growing up in a Christian family, it is, it is a survival mechanism to believe what they believe, right? Like if you're six or 10, and you're probably not six, but although my son hears me talk about abortion, but if you're 10 and you come out against abort, like against the rhetoric that you're hearing, the voices that you're hearing, you're not going to fit in with your family. So it is survival to believe what they believe. And then you have that other side of like, wait a second, now I am a free thinking woman. So you didn't get to the part where you, this changed for you. Like, where did this change for you when suddenly you didn't have, you didn't hold these pro-life beliefs the way that you used to? Um, I would say definitely the biggest factor in it would be basic sex education, <laughs> um, to be honest with you. My, um, I went to a, a school that was also a very heavy nursing school, Point Loma, Point Loma Nazarene, um, still in that Christian school track. Yeah. Um, and all my friends were nurses and a lot of them worked in like NICU or OBGYN. So they were just, I would ask these questions and they would be like, Sierra, how do you not know this basic fact of human anatomy? And it wasn't, it wasn't like I didn't get 
the talk or anything, but I just didn't really understand like stages of conception versus implantation and like very basic um, things that are weirdly not, it's from what I've learned, not even taught necessarily in public schools that well either. Um, so there was that. And then most importantly to my personal journey was I got pregnant unexpectedly in my late teens. Um, in my, it was not wanted. Um, and I really wasn't, I still held that conviction that abortion was morally wrong and that it was literally murder. So I didn't feel like that was an option. And I also wanted that so badly. Um, and in my case, that pregnancy um, ended in pregnancy loss. I'm trying not to use the term miscarriage because I found that that is not great for like my personal narrative because for a long time I felt as if I was like holding a glass and like whoops I dropped it as if I'd like done something. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah so I'm very um so I'm very into like narrative therapy with some existential so I find nice. it really um really helpful to be mindful of language around that even though sometimes it feels a little bit nitpicky. Uh, I don't care if other people say that it's just for me when I tell my own story. Um, and of course, in that situation, I felt I felt grief and physical pain and like a deep sense of isolation. But the biggest thing was I felt so, so deeply shameful for having even considered abortion as an option, mm. um, which I really, I really hadn't even looked at it. I didn't so much as like Google anything about it, but just the fact that the thought had passed through my mind in this like fight or flight state, I had no level of self-awareness to know that that was um, what I was going through. Um, as well as just no no good support system where I felt that it was safe, except I told my best friend at the time, and she was very supportive, but also kind of like, well, the, the guy is terrible, like, you know, I love you, but thank goodness this happened, your life would be ruined, this very, you know, supportive, but also like 18 years old, you don't know what to say. Um, and this, this friend later, now that we are out of graduate school, she is a nurse at Planned Parenthood in the abortion wing. Oh my wing. goodness. Um, and it's, it's a location in San Diego that is right across the street from a Catholic church. Don't know who, who planned that one. Um, <laughs> but there are always protesters. Her car, her car windshield's been broken. Like she's been wow. through it. Yeah. Um, and she would always be telling me these stories of the woman that she saw and just so many, so much, you know, domestic violence in extenuating factors that I had this idea, this very antiquated idea in my head of like, this is the type of person who gets an abortion. Um, and then I was like, oh, that's, that's simply incorrect. Mm. So that, um, that view, I would say in my like late teens, early adulthood, I really kind of just didn't know what to believe. And I was like, yeah. agnostic in my faith and in most of my beliefs in general. So I just kind of was one of those people of like, oh, well, I don't need to have an opinion on it. I wouldn't do it personally. That's none of my business. Um, but now that's totally shifted because through talking to my friend, I developed that sense of like interest. Um, and I've always, oh, I was, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um, and in my case, I don't ovulate. So I also went through this whole, um, phase of like grief and around like, will I have children in the future? I'm still nowhere near. So who knows? Um, but reproductive health has just constantly come up as one of the major themes in my personal life, as well as with my close friends. Yeah. Um, so through that. I talked to my friend at Planned Parenthood and she said, well, we always recommend this resource to people who seem like they're struggling emotionally. It's called Exhale. You might want to look at volunteering with them um, because she would be telling me these stories and I'd be like, well, can I give them a ride home? Like, can I do something? And of course, there's really not that much that you can do under HIPAA yeah. as just like a random 20 something girl. Right. Um, so I got involved with Exhale and I was kind of just threw an application out there of like, oh, who knows what will happen. But within maybe 10 minutes of me talking to Susan, as I'm sure you've experienced, um, she is so compelling and just mm, the, the just so lovely. 
Oh, she's, she's, I'm so glad she went before me. She, she can explain it so incredibly well. She's so articulate. Um, where I'm, I'm like, it's a great, it's a nice place. Oh my gosh. Um, Everything you're saying is amazing. I, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I was so just you so put in this I, application. It sounds like out of like mostly curiosity and a desire to serve and a desire to be helpful somehow in the, in the conversation. But at this point, have you let go of your beliefs, your old belief system, or are you still sort of in that transition period? Oh, yes. I, I absolutely had completely switched the views. Sorry, I didn't okay. clarify yeah. that. But around when I was, I had just turned 18 when I got pregnant. So that was around that time that I was like, well, I don't know. I don't believe in her life, but I also like don't resonate. Um, like I still have those values of being um, not pro-choice, but just kind of neutral in that. Um, and I felt at the time like that was a big weakness. And now my views have changed very much with education and through my friend's experience where I, I do identify as, as very, very pro-choice. Um, mm. And I really believe in reproductive rights. Um, what was that like? Can you explain it? Maybe it's too hard, but like, can you explain it all what that like the shedding of that layer was like, like you shed an identity, you had like a complete identity shift. What was that like? Because I think a lot of people have a particular identity and they see that it's not what they want anymore, but it's way too scary to let go of what they know and step into this unknown. And you did that. Like, did it just kind of all happen naturally? Or do you remember what that was like to be to like let go of that old piece of yourself? Um, I remember a sense of grief. Um, mm -hmm. Some of that grief, I think a little bit of it was about the actual pregnancy loss, but I think a bigger part of it was realizing that the, the natural growing up thing of like, oh, there are some things that my family really values yeah. that to me feel, not, not, not just that I disagree, but I see it being harmful. I see that belief harming myself and my own personal well-being so deeply, even though I never um, disclosed that to my family um, or anything like that, they just, it, I just had that belief and I saw, oh, this is hurting me so badly. What about somebody who actually had an abortion? Like, yeah. what is that doing to them? And that flat right. thought was just kind of floating in my mind, but I was also in that um, kind of an egocentric stage of life where I was just very like, oh, fuck it. Like, I, none of the rules are right. I didn't go to church. I wasn't, I just totally separated myself from that community while also trying to pander to my family when I went home. So it was almost a, a, a very mild bit of like a double life type of situation. Yeah, yeah. A lot of lying, a lot of not good things going on um, on either side of that. Um, however, when I think it was more through hearing my friend's experience being a Planned yeah. Parenthood nurse. Yeah. And then when I went to exhale, I was like, conceptually, I'm pro-choice, but I still, without realizing it, I still definitely had some of that bias of like, this is what um, I had. So I had so much negative self-talk toward myself for having gotten pregnant that I didn't know that I was still applying that negative self-talk to other people and to the whole concept of abortion of as if there's the sense of being um, irresponsible in some way. And that is just absolutely not the case whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I still had that. I totally was subconsciously projecting my own experience onto this idea of a person that I had. Um, and then when we went through the trainings with Exhale, they have a really, really I want to say it's a three to four month training program before you even have your first text line conversation yeah. and they do a lot of role play. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so great because of course you don't want just anybody um, 
with no training um, coming up with that. And they really help you to look at those biases and think about what your experience was. And for me, I was one of the very few volunteers who had not had an abortion. So hearing from my, my colleagues um, what they had gone through and how that affected them, and they were all exactly, either exactly like me or very different from me, just a very, very diverse group in so many ways that it really challenged that those negative ideas that I had. And it was also an exercise in compassion and understanding yeah, and empathy. Yeah, yeah. This is where I feel like, I mean, I, I still have biases that I, like even what I said about like having not experienced everything you've experienced, I know that I still have judgments that I wish I didn't have, but I still have judgments about like that deep religious belief that is not based in science. And like my immediate reaction is like, oh, <laughs> stop telling lies, um, yeah. which is fine. I, I think all of that is true, but I do have to catch myself in my own judgments. And so I, I still, I just think it's amazing that you have such a wide experience of knowing what that's like on both sides. And you're human. Like, well-trained exhale volunteers are still human and well-trained life coaches are still human and well-trained therapists are still human. But I think what's amazing about you and I and other people who do this work is like, we're willing to see it, right? Like I'm willing to say, Oh, that judgment's still there. Like, that's okay. You're not going to, you know, like you can back away your perspective enough to see that it is a judgment. And that's okay. And then go, what do I want to do with it? But, oh my goodness. Okay. So you get through this, you have the opportunity and the gift of doing this exhale training. Was there a little bit of you that was like, A, I haven't had an abortion and B, I used to be pro-life. They're probably not going to accept me. Or like, what was you know, that like? <laughs> there was before, before I joined and before I talked to any actual people. Absolutely. I kind yeah. of felt um, like for me, I felt like it was a little bit selfish almost because I'd had those reproductive experiences to like put myself in that situation. And I was very hyper aware that that is not, um, you know, chronic pain or pregnancy loss is not the same as an abortion, um, in terms of just your, and no, no two experiences of anything are the same. Exactly. I know. So now, why was I <laughs> um, everyone's so different. Um, but as soon as I spoke with everyone, no one ever made me feel othered in any way or left out. Um, and also Susan is a reverend, so we could immediately connect yeah. on that. She's very familiar with that, um, that tension of pro-life and of, of faith and abortion. Um, I could talk, I won't, but I could make a pretty good faith-based theological argument for why abortion is completely fine and healthy. Oh my uh, God, stop it. What do you mean you won't? I want to hear it. Oh my, well, there is, oh, I wish <laughs> I remember. I remember writing in in college, we had to take like a bunch of Old Testament, New Testament Bible classes. Yeah. And, um, and it was just in depth, um, very much always kind of pushing their opinions on you, even the, the sweetest, loveliest professors. It was always like, oh, here's why it's wrong to be gay or like these, yeah. these ideas. And I was like, oh no, this can't, this just simply cannot be correct. Um, that I knew like instinctively, but I didn't have the knowledge to back it up. Um, but somehow through through those professors teaching you or teaching me about that, I developed, I was like, well, what about this? What about the other side? Yeah. And I ended up this huge final paper on a passage in the Old Testament. I want to say it was Leviticus. I could, I could be wrong. I can find my APA 
paper one day, um, where basically in the old olden times, um, the days of the Bible days of yore, if a man suspected that his wife had been unfaithful to him, he could take her to a priest and the priest could do some type of ritual with water. He would like spit on the ground and mix it with dirt and make her eat it or something kind of like gross and weirdly sounds like witchcraft to me, but whatever. Um, and if she had been guilty of infidelity, then she would lose the pregnancy on the spot, which to me, it seems like doing a ritual to make somebody lose a pregnancy, to me, is that not, <laughs> it seems like the earliest form of abortion. <laughs> right. um, of course, it was for, it was for a way of, they were also all for like, you know, burying a woman in the sand and stoning her for being unfaithful. So that's a whole different, whole other conversation. Right. And Oh, I just lost your sound again. That's me with my hand on the speaker. I know it's hard? hard to carry a. It's um, hard to hold a phone. Can you, I've got to get a prop or something. Oh, <laughs> your arm is probably hurting. <laughs> oh, it's, it's okay. Um, but yeah, but there's a whole there's all kinds of different arguments you can make for either side. And what I found, and I, I've tried. I brought that up with my parents. Brought that up with my professor of like, well, what about this piece? Um, and it always ends in nothing. No one ever changes yeah. their views. No one ever feels differently except for maybe feeling of like your feelings are hurt or you think less of the other person for it. And I, I love to argue. I could argue all in debate all day long, but that doesn't really get anybody anywhere um, in terms, terms of belief. And that's where actual human connection and having conversations like yeah. this one and the ones I have with the yeah. texters is what makes, because if you, if you immediately meet somebody head on, they're going to have that defensive reaction. Yeah. yeah. Um, or at least I certainly will. Oh my goodness. I love getting to know you so, so much. So now you've been doing this work for how long? Just over a year with Exhale. So not and do you, long. is it like X number of hours per week or like, what does it look like for you? Um, being a Texan counselor after those, those trainings, I think it's like an hour, you know, maybe four hours of training a month for mm -hmm. those three months. And then once you are a counselor, it's, um, it's four two-hour shifts a month, so that mm -hmm. would be eight, um, yeah. eight hours a month now yeah. and then. And I recently, I very, very recently joined the board in end of July, early August, and that is a little bit more of a commitment because it's a lot of fundraising. Um, go to exhaleprovoice.org/donate, um, but it's a lot of. You are amazing. I love you. <laughs> um, it's a great. It is a great. Nothing. There's no other organization. I actually just learned that. I've been with them for a year. And someone said something about like, oh yeah, there's nothing like this out there. And I was like, yeah, this team is great. Like we're the best. And they were like, no, Sierra, we're the only organization outside of pro-life. Um, I'm sure there must be some type of more clear-cut pro-choice counseling out there, but not that yeah. I'm not at this level yeah. um, that is actually supportive and in, in favor of abortion and also in favor of the complicated feelings around it. Yeah. And the people who have the guilt about feeling guilty or the guilt about not feeling guilty and all of that. Um, so it's, it is a heftier time commitment, but it's, it's the only Zoom meeting uh, that I, other than this one that I've looked forward to in. Oh my gosh. Uh, I, love it. I love it. Okay. I have, oh, I have so many questions. What do you do for your, like, do you have a day job or like, what do you do when you're not volunteering? Um, I'm a graduate student. Uh, mm -hmm. I study clinical counseling. I'm working towards getting my nice. license in marriage and family therapy. Beautiful. Um, Yes, I honestly, I wish I'd known about life coaching before I um, took out quite this quantity of debt because I, I think it is, um, anyway, that's a whole other, but it's, 
it's so valuable. It's amazing. Well, you can combine um, the two someday and you will be an amazing therapist. You are so kind. Thank you so much. It will um, be awesome. So I see. Yeah. So it's, it's just a lot of zoom meetings. I do see clients, yeah. but there's a lot of supervision since I'm, yeah. I work under two different licensed therapists. Yeah. I see, um, I counsel college students at San Diego Christian college. So I'm sure I'm, I'm ready for the topic of abortion to come up in that. Um, it hasn't yet. And then I also work with North County lifeline with at-risk youth. So a lot nice. of, um, mostly right now adolescents who are referred from probation officers, which is really cool that I get to, um, two very different populations. Yeah. Oh, the world is so lucky to have you. Okay. So let's, I, I said this to Susan today. Um, I think I said it after we recorded though. This is when I like got real and raw. I was like, you know, after my abortion, I can't remember when I found exhale, but I was like afraid to, to connect with someone who was a volunteer, right? Like I didn't know how much mm -hmm. training they'd had. And like, I wasn't really sure I wanted to put my story in the hands of a volunteer. Now I feel totally differently about that. <laughs> but at the time when it was a new experience for me, I was like, oh, it sounds like a really awesome organization, but that feels scary to me. So anyone who's listening, who I do have listeners who have not yet had their abortion, they're listening and preparing. And then I have listeners who have recently had one and some who had them many, many years ago. Um, what is it like? Like if I were newly texting an exhale counselor, like what would the experience be like? What would happen? What would it look like? Um, so you would get, you know, they reach out. We're only open. We're open. Uh, I want to say three to three to nine, three to eight. We're open evenings, um, evenings and afternoons, Pacific time. The hours are on exhaleprovoice.org. Yeah. Um, I should certainly know them by now, but I sure don't. That's okay. And, um, as long as whatever. you show up when you're supposed to, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we can look that up on the internet. <laughs> um, they, if they text outside of hours, then they'll get a little blurb of like, hi, thank you for reaching exhale. Here are hours. We'll get back to you. So some, some days um, a volunteer will log on for a shift and there'll be like seven or so people that texted in outside of hours. Mm -hmm. So we get back to each of them in that time and we let them know like this is when we're available. If right now it doesn't work, text us later. Um, I always like, or they encourage us to give a name. We don't use real names just because of privacy and it's all, so it's all confidential. It's through Slack. Yeah. Um, you could literally after this conversation text in and I would never know it was you unless you gave your like last name or any personal yeah. information, which yeah. people, which we don't ask for at all and it's it's not there's no like application or anything you just text the number um and there's there's literally no way for us to find out the number if we got uh god forbid if we got hacked or something like that it's all through a third party so it's super yep. confidential um and i always give a name sometimes i i usually give um like a traditionally female name um just because that's how i identify uh so then I'll say like, Hey, thank you for reaching out to exhale. Um, what, what would you, what brought you here today? And mm -hmm. I'll just get some background on what they're going through. Um, people's responses vary from like, well, I had an abortion. That's why I'm texting the after abortion text line to like a three paragraph. Like, this is what I'm going through. This is what yeah. my parents think. This is what my partner thinks. This is how I'm feeling. Um, we do get quite a bit of, met of people asking for medical advice. We cannot provide any type of medical advice, mm -hmm. but if they text in asking for something like a talk line or medical advice or support group, then we refer them to resources. Nice. Um, and if they, they're, if more often than not, though, they're not looking for something specific. People just really want to be heard and seen yeah. and understood. Yeah. Um, so 
So, so how we, long might you communicate with someone by text? Like about, 10 minutes, about 30 minutes, an hour? <laughs> I would say like? one, to, um, one to two hours. Each person's shift is two hours. Oh, okay. um, so if they want to like stick with the same volunteer, then two, and people normally do, then it's two hours. Um, sometimes every once in a while, we'll have somebody who's maybe the other day I had somebody who was only responding every 10 to 20 minutes mm -hmm. and we normally will follow up and ask them, you know, to stay engaged uh, throughout the hour so that they can get the most out of it. But she had, she had hyperemesis gravitarium. Mm -hmm. I mean, might be butchering that, yeah. but she was literally texting us in between trips to go throw up. Um, so of course in that case, then I rolled her over to the next shift so that she could actually get a full conversation out of it due to mm -hmm. those circumstances but anyway so typically one to two hours sometimes okay. shorter sometimes longer and then like what if I texted you and then a week later or a few days later or a month later I felt like oh shoot big feelings are coming up again I want to talk to somebody again is there a way to talk to the same volunteer or you just text and talk to a new volunteer you just text back and talk to a new volunteer yep. but if you've texted in before that new volunteer can see the past conversation so if i have we do get people who reach out multiple times so if that happens while i'm on a shift i go back and i read through the conversation pretty quickly um, and i get an idea of what issues they're dealing with i don't let them know that because i don't want to be like oh you told me you were out of milk the other day yeah. um of course respect their privacy but and um, that way we know I don't want to I don't want to bring to them cope, coping exercises that have already been brainstormed together or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. So it's not the kind of thing where there's a limit on how much you can use the text line. There is not. It is not. Um, it is definitely not the same as therapy. I try to refer people. Of course, that's my bias uh, yeah. as well, because I'm aspiring to be a therapist. Um, it's definitely not the same as long-term psychotherapy yeah in any regard I would compare it more to like talking to a friend that you can tell yeah. absolutely anything and who will come over with a cup of coffee yeah. and a hug yeah minus yeah. the coffee mug yeah. um I yeah, say to all just, my clients um once you start working with me we have one hour sessions once a week but then I use an app where they can contact me anytime and I oh, say cool. like I want to be in your back pocket so that's kind of what I think of the tech support line is like just having someone in your back pocket where, where you don't feel alone. So for me, it's clients that I already know and I'm just available, available to them during their transition, during the work that we're doing. But that's what the Exhale tech support line reminds me of is just like having someone in your back pocket so that you're not alone. You know, it's not like I have something I really need to say and I want to say it to a human being. <laughs> Even if they're a volunteer on the other, on the other Absolutely. side of this line. I love that. In oh pocket. my goodness. Okay. So is there anything else you want to tell us about your story or your journey or working for Exhale or maybe like a recurring theme that you hear a lot in, in conversations that you, a listener might be struggling with right now? Mm. Oh, I, I would say forgiveness is a big theme that comes up and mm -hmm. because of my own religious history, that really hits home. Um, an activity that I always recommend when that comes up, I tell this to almost every texter. Actually. Yay, I love um, it. Tell us. <laughs> hopefully, if someone's listening to this, then they can do it, is to, it kind of sucks, but to sit down with an actual pen and an actual piece of paper, um, and you have like a pen and not a pencil, because you 
then you'll go back and edit, but an actual like pen, Sharpie, whatever. Um, And write down a letter. Uh, Some people do it depending on the situation. They can do it to their past selves. They can do it to their future selves. Um, Depending on the language of the caller, sometimes they'll even write a letter to the baby if that's the type of language they use and what they identify with. Um, And if they feel the need, then they will ask their future self for forgiveness or they'll ask God for forgiveness or their mother who they can't tell because she'll be so angry, they'll ask her for forgiveness. And then I have them after they do this whole stream of consciousness, word vomit type of exercise, then I have them literally destroy the letter. Like they can, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say like throw it in a lake, don't litter, but they can burn it or tear it up or get it wet, something, something to physically, because the way that trauma is stored in our bodies, um, any type of negative experience or shame that we hold is literally in our cells. And that gives that opportunity for your central nervous system hyperactivation to kind of sit, pause barf so to speak to just get out all that words and those gross feelings that they might not feel comfortable telling a random volunteer via text um and then to literally see that disappear and in that way grant themselves forgiveness if they feel that they need it beautiful i love that exercise thank you for sharing oh so so good i appreciate you so much and the work that you're doing and of course exhale and the work that they're doing and um, especially for sharing your story about this swing that you've made in your life. Um, and I hope we stay in touch. I hope that I get to see more of your journey and that maybe someday I'll refer people to you as a therapist. <laughs> I would love that. I would love if we could refer people to you. Um, I don't, we don't do referrals right now, but that's, anyway, thank you so much for having yeah. me on. It's been such a pleasure to connect with you. Your podcast has been an amazing resource as a volunteer and also for some of my peers who uh, are in grad school and they don't work in the abortion space and don't know yeah. much about it. That has been really enlightening to them. So thank awesome. you so much. Yeah, so, so good. Have a good afternoon. I hope the air stays clear out there on the other side of the country. Oh, you too. <laughs> Stay safe. Yeah, bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.